some of those videos through the year. I mean, I said the Easter offering, and obviously it's it's July, but uh, we uh, we collect our World Missions offering throughout the year, and 30% of that goes to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So, want to remind you where your giving goes and how it serves the kingdom. Really, not very far from here, um, in my home state, and. Um, places actually where family members of mine have served and it's uh, it's exciting to see what God's doing throughout the world. Uh, we uh, return as some people were expecting a couple of weeks ago to the gospel of Mark chapter 14 and don't worry there's only 16 chapters. Um, we, uh, we only have a couple more to go but these are important ones. Um, God has a plan and you and I get to be active participants in what he is doing. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it was completely out of your control? What was ever has happened? Okay. Honesty is good. How many of you ever feel like anything is in your control? Okay. I'm glad you sat on your hands on that. That's a good thing. As I was thinking about this particular account, as we look at this this morning, I got to thinking about different big events in my life, uh, different things that happen that are formative, that change who we are at the core, but that really we have no control over whatsoever. And then I think about times where there's a person maybe that that's a part of, that's a, the center of, who's the, the focus of that event. Um, I think of uh, illnesses. If you dealt in your family with uh, the, the loss of a long, loved one or, or a major illness, and you, you see this storm circling around this one person, Right? Um, you, many of you in here are parents, and you might think back to the birth of a child, and there is a lot of action centered around one person that is bringing another person into the world, right? And that person has a lot going on, and whatever the circumstances is, wh wh whatever the circumstance is, whatever you're going through. It seems like the person who's, who's the focus of, it, of, the, of that event is, uh, is often the person who is at the most peace within it. They just kind of understand what's going on. I remember times uh, just in, in my life, uh, my, my dad spent a, a lot of my life being very sick. Uh, he was a heart patient, and he dealt with that over and over and over and over again. And I remember being in the hospital with him, and I was freaking out. And he just occasionally would tell me, knock it off. This will pass. And I even remember it actually the week he did pass away, where he just went, Greg! Stop it. And he wasn't even really in his right mind, but he knew I wasn't too. <laughs> we come to a place like this here at the arrest of Jesus. We see a lot of chaos happening. 
But at the center of this event is our Savior. And He is the calm in the center of the storm. He knows why He has come. He knows for what purpose He is there. And now we come to the place where we see His arrest. A couple, well, it's a couple of months ago now, as I was just looking at my, at my notes in my Bible, it, we've spent a long time in Mark 14, and most of you would say amen to that. But we also have taken three weeks off from it, so you're welcome as well. Um, May 16th, um, if you want a real in-depth picture of the story of Judas, I would encourage you to either find that on our website, uh, on the YouTube page, or whatever. I'm not going to go into a lot of Judas here. Now, Judas is the picture of betrayal, right, of this abandonment that you see this picture of on the screen. He is the one whom we see the judgment ultimately falling for an eternal separation from God. But he's not the focus of this passage. Nor are the other elements, the other people, the focus of this passage. What we must come to, and in the midst of all of the chaos that's going around, as the crowds come in on Jesus, is that he came with purpose. There's a reason that he goes through all that he endures this last day of his physical life before his crucifixion. So in Mark chapter 14, we'll be in verses 43 through 52 invite you to stand as we read through those together. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Lord, let us not be distracted with the human events here. But let us put our focus on the eternal events here. And be transformed by your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Maybe seated. I won't make you stand up the whole time I preach. Don't worry. Although one time I was in England, and the cathedral that we went into is an Episcopal, or a Church of England, I mean, in America we call it Episcopalian, they had no seats. They stood up for the entire worship service. It's true. You know who got to sit down? The preacher. It could flip. I'm just saying. All right. So. There are five different major character groups in this passage. We're going to look at all of them. 
there are four that are a picture of the chaos, and there is one that is a picture of the peace. The first that we find is the crowd. In verse 43, we see, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. I think we make this a calm picture in our minds. We kind of see them wandering up, wondering where Jesus is. Guys, this was a mob. These people were angry, and they were out for blood. People don't show up in a peaceful situation with their swords and their clubs drawn. They were out for blood. And they knew who they wanted. They didn't know exactly who to look for in the dark. And so in the, in the garden in Gethsemane, Jesus is there. And remember what the, the last passage we looked at was the, the disciples falling asleep. And Jesus saying, there's something about to happen. And you keep falling asleep. Here's what's going to happen. The scribes, the Pharisees, the crowd, the elders, the, Judas, the betrayer, all show up with one thing on their mind, to find Jesus. And they've got a plan. This is the first group that we look at. They had a sign. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Now, we, we see that this was already a different era than where we are right now. There was no such thing involved as social distancing here. I don't think they were wearing their masks. If anything, if, if it was any kind of mask, it was one to conceal who they were. To, but it's pretty obvious who they were. They were the ones who wanted the head of Jesus. They wanted him gone because he was a problem to them. Why? Well, he was, he, he was getting the crowd all riled up. And he had had all of these things that he had said along the way. And, and ultimately, the crime he is charged with is, is one of blasphemy. But really, what we see here is a sense of mob rule. They don't come with a re an arrest warrant. They just come to get him. They're coming to take him away. And then what we see happen later before the council, before Pilate, those are all the legal proceedings that happen. This is the mob just saying, this guy's a problem and we want to get rid of him. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas had an agreement with them, right? He, he, he took their money. He had a plan. He said the one that he would kiss. Now, the way that word is translated is uh, as a, a kiss of greeting, like you would kiss somebody on the cheek when you meet them. Not really an American custom, but it is, an, it is a worldwide custom still. When you meet somebody that you might kiss them on the cheek, on both cheeks. And, and if you don't, you better, you know, better be ready for, you know, whatever uh, insult you would pass upon them. So that's the picture. And he calls him the teacher. But we got, we got a problem here when he says, when he came in verse 45, he went up with him once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, we see that word as the same word in, um, in English, but in the Greek, it's a different word. 
It's actually a, a kiss of affection. It, it's almost an aggressive kiss. Why? Because Judas knows what he's doing. He's wound up in the situation. And he wants to ma- act like it's all this passive thing. But, but he's wound up and caught up in this fury, in this fervor. And he calls him rabbi. And in, in other versions, we see two times that he says, rabbi, rabbi. And he kisses him with that affection. And it brings to light how quickly our affections can turn. Now, it's, it's not an affectionate kiss that he offered. It was kind of an aggressive kiss of greeting, right? He's nervous. He, he's coming before the, the crowds and the, and the council, and, and this is who he has. So that's the second character that we see here is, is Judas, and he's nervous because he knows he's done something wrong. So what's happening? They laid hands on him and seized him. They arrested him. Here's where it gets fun. And this is in all four Gospels, what happens next. Somebody pulls out their sword who's a good guy. The first three Gospels don't name who it is. They're all written within 30 years of the life of Jesus. And actually, the Gospel of Mark is believed to be written according to the account of Peter as Christ's disciple. The Gospel of John, John knows Peter's long gone, and he throws him under the bus. We see that it's Peter. This one who is so passionate in his, in his love for his master, who cuts off, as Luke says, the right ear, very specific. Mark and Matthew don't say which ear, it just says an ear. Luke and John both say the right ear. And John even mentions the guy who it happened to, and that is the guy named Malchus. So we see, you know, it, it's significant when all when events happen in all four Gospels, right? There's only a few of those things that happen. The only miracle that's reported in all four Gospels besides the resurrection is the feeding of the 5,000. Kind of had an impact. This is one of those things that has an impact. He drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. You don't have to confess your sins if this is actually something you have done to someone. Have you ever been that wound up about anything? I hope not. But we see that. That emotional fervor is not just on the, on the crowd's side. It's on the disciples' end as well. They want to protect Jesus. Peter gets wound up, takes the ear off. Well, we don't see what really happens here. But if you go into the, uh, the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus heals that servant, that slave of one of the high priests. Jesus, I'm going to come back to it, but we see that that healing happen. He says to them, have you come out against, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? He asks them. Again, this is a, a, a peaceful response to a violent situation. How do we know? Because what he says right after that, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. You could have had, it, had me at any moment in time. 
but you pick now in the dark with a mob? He offers the reason, though, that it happens that way, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. See, I could have called this message Fulfillment Part 2. I didn't because I thought all the picture of the abandonment that would happen here. What happens then? And they all left him and fled. Who are they? Well, think about the context. The people who had him did not abandon him. Who are they? His disciples. They all left him and fled. Every single one of them. And then we get this weird verse that every time I end up teaching it to a class, particularly of teenagers, they get caught up in this for some reason. Verses 51 and 52. I'm not sure I understand why. Actually, I know exactly why. And a young man followed him and with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, every time, this is such a formative passage, the gospel. And every time we get to this place, Somebody cannot get over that. Why is that there? It's probably because that young man was the gospel writer. It's kind of his little signature without actually writing his name in there. Mark or John Mark, as he's called in the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's postulated and it's possible that the Last Supper had been in his home, the young man's home. His mother is mentioned in the book of Acts. Her name is Mary. And the church met in her home, and that they had the Last Supper at his home, and he just followed them out. And he was in his pajamas, which happened to be a linen cloth. And they caught the clothing, and he ran off. Don't worry, it was dark. He, He obviously made it home. But it's just an interesting thing. All of these things... These four characters, the crowd, Judas, the disciples, particularly Peter, and this guy, what do they draw a picture of? Chaos. The insanity of the events. And I don't think there's anything stranger that ever happened in history. This was the the God of all creation being arrested. That's a little odd. But in the midst of all of this, it's Jesus. Jesus, the one who came to fulfill the Scriptures. The one who knows why all of these things are happening. The one who understands what must occur in the next 12 to 24 hours. He knows and he receives it. And he is the calm in the eye of the storm. We see that fulfillment in what he came to do and he understood what it had to happen. And he knew he was being unjustly arrested. And he knew what was ahead. Because remember in John 17, we talked about that the last time we get, went through this. We talked about the prayer that he offered. He said, if, if, it's, if you're willing, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. 
He knew what was going to happen. And he knew why. Because a penalty had to be paid for the, all of these people. For every single one of them. He knew what was ahead. And even as he was arrested by the ruling mob, he showed mercy. Peter, trying to defend the honor of his master, cuts off the ear of a servant who's probably just doing what he was told to do. Jesus healed him. And John, in chapter 18, offers that picture. He says that Jesus healed that servant. And the reason we see those names is because of the historical record. They wouldn't have named somebody unless it mattered. Malchus, that guy. Remember him? No scars, but I remember when his ear came off. And what I, what I found here... and. It's really easy to get caught up in all of this and all the things that happen around it, but if, if we come to focus into Jesus, I think even back to where we looked at a couple of months ago, we see Jesus' fulfillment of the law. What do I mean? Go back to Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to use your Bibles as well. Matthew chapter 5. These things called the Beatitudes just going to read them and think about how Jesus is handling himself in this scenario in this situation verse 2 says and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Consider what Jesus endured in that moment. And think how that relates back to the first words he spoke in his ministry. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the persecuted. You keep going in it. But Jesus fulfilled every word of that statement in this moment. This shows us what Jesus came to do his consistency and his purpose and his love and mercy for mankind. There were other moments in, in, in his ministry. Remember in Nazareth, the mob came after him. What did he do? He disappeared. He was gone. Here, 
He knew what had to happen. And it's because of His great mercy upon me and you that He did that. We can get caught up in the storm and all the circumstances and all the craziness and the wild things happening in our world, and you can get mad about whatever you want to get mad about, but it all comes back to the fact that we have to, to, to respond to who Jesus is and what He came to do and how He calls us, and Paul comes back to it in the, in the, in the letters, to be like. To show mercy. To live out purity and holiness. To receive persecution. That, 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 I don't like that. But that's the example that's been set for us in Christ. He doesn't brag about it. He knows what has to be done. The fact is, is when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, He honors our radical trust in Him. Because what we see exemplified here is a radical trust in the will of God. Remember, the human Jesus did not want to go through this, but He knew He had to. And God might be calling you to do something that you at this moment think is strange. But He offers you the grace necessary to fulfill that task. To obey His call. All the disciples fled at this moment. But it didn't stop Jesus in His mission. He came that we might find life. Life. He knew that the only way that that would happen was through a righteous sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Father. So instead of getting caught up in, in Judas and how did this happen or how did that happen, you can go back and, and wander about those things, continue. And, and it's that way with the entirety of the Bible, guys. That's the reason we need to read the whole thing. This whole book points to this moment of Jesus' suffering. When we learn the Word of God, we must see how it is fulfilled in Christ. Otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, we can follow rules all we want to, but trusting what God has done and that fulfillment that He brought to pass in His, in his own life as the Son, that makes sense of it. Disciples didn't understand it. They said it over and over throughout the Gospels. Jesus said this. We didn't get it until after his resurrection. And friends, you, you don't understand the Gospel until God brings that moment of life into you. That moment of regeneration. When you trust in him, he offers the hope of eternity because of his suffering and his radical trust and obedience the Father's will. Christ submitted His life. He gave His life because of His love for you. And He wants you to place your trust in Him. In all of the confusion, 
let's not get lost in the purpose. And that is to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you received him? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Lord, you are good. find myself under